0: Chapter number 2. Acts 2 is where I want to begin this morning, and we'll begin in verse number 38. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse number 38. It must be May because I'm extremely warm already. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse... Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this... And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. This particular passage in Acts chapter 2 really gives us this wonderful picture of how church membership begins, how it is carried through, and how it is to continue. We see that church membership does not begin with a desire to join a church, but church membership begins with repentance. It begins with repentance of sins for the remission of sins. It has been God's plan from the very beginning, that the churches would be built up by those who come to saving faith in Christ, those who are converted, who are regenerated, that they would join themselves to a particular group or a particular church. Uh, In the uh, days of old, sometimes those would be referred to as assemblies. It's still a very appropriate word for today, but there would be a joining together with. Uh, They are referred to as members. Now, we don't see the word members or membership uh, in many of the translations. Uh, The the King James, which is what I'm using this morning, doesn't use the word membership in the sense that we look at it. Uh, But there certainly is this uh, principle in this teaching that saved people were to join themselves to a local body of believers. Now, many people over the years have struggled with the idea of local. They've struggled with the idea, does local mean in our neighborhood? Does local mean within five miles, ten miles? What does it mean? Uh, Local is not defined by the number of miles. that separates where you live and where that body of believers meets. Uh, now, typically what had happened in the, in the American church, and this is what was the plan, um, and this church is, is a, a, in a unique location because this was what the original intent of the church was. It was going to be placed in a community where there were people. Uh, we're, sitting in, we're sitting in the middle of many neighborhoods that are surrounding. We're all. If you get a map, it's very interesting where our building sits. Uh, we're sitting right there in the middle of all these different neighborhoods. And it's planted here in order that there might be a lighthouse in this community. So, membership is certainly something that the Lord has provided, and it is a gift uh, to be a member of a local church. Now, we're going to be using that text this morning in Acts 2. Uh, and then also looking at the paragraph. But I want you to see that in the first century church, when I make mention of the first century church, primarily we're talking about the church in the book of Acts and how the book of Acts tells us how the church was structured, how the church met together, what they did, when they met one with another, and give us a picture of what the Lord had intended. If you look at paragraph six of the confession, it says the members of these churches are saints by calling, now that's a very important principle we're going to learn about this morning, visibly manifesting and evidencing in and by their profession, and walking their obedience unto that call of Christ, and do willingly consent to walk together according to the appointment of Christ, giving up themselves to the Lord and one another, by the will of God in professed subjection to the ordinances of the gospel. Now you'll notice there are a number of footnotes that are given. We're going to make mention primarily of Acts 2. 41 and the passage that we just read, but I will make mention also of a couple others. But you'll see Romans 1, seven is the footnoted that deals with the first, the first phrase there about the members of these churches are saints by calling, manifesting, evidencing, obedience. Romans 1, seven, and then 1 Corinthians 1, two. The second part of the paragraph is where we deal with Acts 2, Acts 5, and then 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. So this paragraph really confronts this with, with this truth and confronts us with what I would call a fact. If a man and a woman in this case, a man or a woman, is in the faith, is truly a believer, there is going to be a desire to want to join themselves to a local assembly. Uh, It is almost unthinkable to think a believer would say, I want to be a believer and not be a part of a local church or not be part of a local assembly. That I am now saved, I'm converted, and I want to be isolated from other (laughs) believers. I want to just be an island unto myself. Church membership is a beautiful gift. It is an amazing thing. People join clubs and societies of all sorts. Uh, people And sometimes people, again, I don't think this is what the church should be doing, but they take great pride in saying, I belong to such and such. I belong to this club, this society. I'm a part of this. And yet when it comes to church membership, there is, seems to be a waning desire among church people that membership even matters. And yet the Bible talks over and over and over again, especially in the book of Acts, about churches that are gathered together with specific reasons, or for specific reasons, for a specific purpose. So a person who is truly a believer is going to seek to be joined with and committed. And I know, again, we'll talk about that word commitment. Commitment, is, again, is a becoming a, a, a taboo word in many things. Why do I have to commit to anything? I, don't, I want to just be free-range. Uh, that's a term I never thought I'd hear. There's actually such thing now as free-range believers. And I'm not trying to be humorous this morning, but I've heard of free-range chickens, but I've never heard of free-range believers. I've never understood why would you want to be free-range. What, what's wrong in your conversion that says, I want to be free? I don't want to be, like, like church membership is somehow caging you up somehow. Like it's somehow keeping you from something. Uh, The reality here is, is that when the Lord saves a sinner and we understand that salvation is of the Lord, uh, there is going to be a compelling and a great desire to be numbered or to be counted with other believers who desire the same things. They desire to obey. They desire to worship God. uh, They desire to proclaim Christ and preach the gospel. And you'll notice that in our study, our verses this morning, Acts 2, that very last verse we read, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, I realize in our day of flaunting numbers, sadly, uh, we make that the goal, the goal, main goal of the church is not to see how many souls we can add. Uh, the purpose of the, st- the church is to proclaim the gospel. It's not to add numbers. Now, if the Lord adds to the church, we, we rejoice in that. We glorify God in that. But our goal is not to increase numbers. It is the Lord who adds to the church. And the most beautiful addition to the church is, as the Lord saves souls, that they have this desire to join themselves to whatever that local church is. Now, I do know one thing that local church is, and I know one thing that local church is not. A local church is not online media church. And I said this last week. There is no such thing as being a member of an online church. It doesn't exist you're maybe watching, you're watching the church services of another body of believers that you're not a part of. Now, sometimes we watch those things and again, there can be benefits to it. But sometimes we look at another body of believers and we say, I wish we were like that. Or why don't we do things this way? You know what the beauty of the local church is? Is the Bible's already told us what the church should look like, how it should function, and what it should look like. And the best I can tell and that we don't say this with any sort of arrogance. We're doing that. Now, we may not have what every other church has, but we are following the biblical pattern. And to follow the biblical pattern is what we're supposed to do. It's that regulative principle of worship. It's, it's doing things as God has laid them out. We don't have to add something to it. We just simply do it the way that the Lord has said. So we do see in our text this morning that the Lord was adding to the church Daily. Now, again, remember, in the first century, there was a great converting of people. It, it, the, church, the church as we know it, uh, the New Testament church, was, was completely being formulated and it was being planted. And, I mean, people, the gospel was going forth into every Gentile region and every Gentile corner. And the gospel was accomplishing exactly what God said was going to happen. People are going to be saved. And as many as I have, I have ordained from the foundation of the world, they're going to be saved. The Lord is still adding to the church every single day. And even if he doesn't add to this local church by a new convert, if I get a report of another church who had a convert, I am just as thrilled for them as if I'm a part of that body. If my desire is truly on souls. My next question isn't, well, they got saved and what if they'll come join our church? No, the beauty is, is that they will want to join themselves to a local church that preaches the gospel. Now, that local church may be miles and miles away. You know, one of the beauties of this church has been and continues to be. There are people who are from right here, and there are people who are from some distance away. And I said this last year, if you find a local church that's standing for the truth of the gospel, go as far as you need to do to be a part of that. And especially because God doesn't just give us a suggestion. I believe he leads us and plants us in the churches he wants us to be. I don't consider anybody who shows up here, here by accident. I really don't. I consider it that God is somehow moving. Now, ultimately, this may not be where they end up. And that's okay. It shouldn't be, what did we do wrong? Oftentimes we see somebody come in and go out and we say, what did we do wrong? Why did they not want to stay with us? Listen, it's a voluntary assembly and joining of. We are not a state church. We will never be a state church that, in, that forces membership on a person. <clears throat> but I want you to think about when this church enacts what they were proclaiming. Now, in Acts chapter number 9, we have the account, one of the accounts of Paul's conversion. And we're not going to read that text because I think we've, we're familiar with that. But if there would have been anybody on this planet who would have been reluctant to join a church, it would have been Paul. The Apostle Paul had viciously at one time and probably still throughout history, has been one of the great persecutors of the church. Now, I don't think we understand what it would have been like to be a local church when the Apostle Paul showed up. Now, we like to say, oh, if Paul showed up at our church, we'd open the door wide. Now, I'm, I'm talking right after his conversion. Paul's reputation preceded him. He was known by people as a vicious persecutor of the church. I've often wondered if Paul showed up, and again, I'm being very hypothetical, would show up at our church, would one of our greeters open the door and let Paul in? And say, you are the one that we heard was consenting unto Stephen's death when they were stoning him. You were holding a cloak. You see, this is a man who would have said look i've been converted i've been redeemed but the church doesn't want me i'm just going to be quote unquote a free range apostle paul's reputation was so bad that he often had to authenticate his apostleship because the churches didn't believe that his his apostleship was authentic If anybody could have said, you know what, this local church thing, this church thing's not going to work for me because nobody wants me there, Paul would have been the one. Now today, again, I'm not trying to be rude or unkind, but people will find every excuse in the world why I shouldn't be a member of a church. I shouldn't, I don't have to do that. No, you don't have to do anything. But I will say on the personal note, you're missing out on one of God's greatest gifts is to be a member of a local church. We might understand that after Paul's conversion, he would want to stay away from those who he had inflicted such great harm to. But as soon as Paul was converted, we find him in Acts 9.19 being with disciples who were at Damascus. The very place and the road that he was on when the Lord saved his soul. Later we read about Paul coming to Jerusalem. And he was trying to associate with the disciples. And the Bible actually says, and I'm paraphrasing, they were afraid of him. This was a frightening man. This was, I don't think we understand how vicious he was. You know, we, we, we've said it so many times, it's cliched. Paul was persecuting Christians. Do you know what it was to persecute? He wasn't just persecuting, he was imprisoning and with a desire to kill. He went to the authorities saying, I want a license to kill anybody who is of that way. This would be like somebody in society going down to the local government officials And say, look, I want permission to take out everybody who's meeting up on that church on Petrie Road up there. Folks, this man was vicious, but he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he was considered a religious leader of the day. He would have been a man who many would have said, wait a minute, we don't want any part of that. Yet we see Paul throughout his epistles. We see it even in the book of Acts. We see him associating with other believers. We see him writing to the churches. We see him joining himself to the churches. We especially see the church at Ephesus in Acts 20. And if you don't think that's remarkable, that people stood and wept when Paul was getting ready to leave after his past, people became, uh, they they became uh, in one accord with him. That's what the power of the gospel does, folks. Only the gospel can take a persecutor and a hater of the church and turn him into a lover of God's people. Church membership is filled with people who love God's people. John talks about, 1 John talks about, you, can, you cannot be. If you have hate for your brother, you cannot be one of His. You can't hate the brethren and be a follower of Christ. And even in Acts 9, in verse 28, Barnabas endorsed Paul's credibility. Barnabas began to speak up and began to say, he is one of ours. He's one of us. So we are concerned when we encounter professing believers who rationalize that, again, that free-range life that's detached from the local church. When Jesus makes a disciple, we see that when those disciples were being made, they were being added to the church, even if that disciple was one time a persecutor of the church. Again, I don't think even in our day and age, knowing Paul's history, many of our churches would even welcome and open our doors to him. And we certainly probably would be very hesitant to put him on the church roll. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Do you know what this guy did? So the church, we see, and even from our study this morning in Acts 2, in verses 37 through 43, we'll kind of make the applications now. The church is comprised of members who are called and converted. Notice the order. They're first called, and then they're converted. You see again, verse 37 When Peter was preaching, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Being pricked to the heart is the power of the Spirit moving. It's the power of the Spirit of God calling them. And Peter says unto them, repent, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ by the way, he was not saying that baptism is a part of the converting. That is the part that characterizes the addition into the local church. For the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Even as many is God's beauty in the election by sovereign grace. Those that God has called, he will convert. He has converted their souls. There is no such thing as being called by God and then remaining unconverted. You're called and converted. It isn't an invitation to come and take my call. It is the calling of God. It is God's electing sovereign grace that has placed you even today in the body of Christ as a believer. The natural outflow of that calling and that conversion is church membership. It's being a part of that Church. The members of the local church are first of all, they are defined evangelically. Now I know that word is also becoming a it's becoming a misused word. Again, be careful of what you say you are in society because you may not believe what people who associate with that say. In political realms, there is the evangelical right. I'm not the evangelical right. Just make that clear. I'm not the evangelical right. Evangelically has more to do, in its truest terms, has to do with terms of the gospel and my relationship with Christ. I can assure you all the evangelical right in political circles is not converted by the gospel, and they certainly do not have a relationship to Jesus Christ. So just be careful about who you associate your name with and say, well, I'm of the evangelical right. Evangelical is actually a good word to describe a person who's been converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ and has an ongoing active relationship with Christ. Anybody can call themselves a Christian today. That doesn't mean that they are. A profession of faith doesn't mean possession of faith. That's not my statement. That's been said for years. I can claim to be something. The members of churches are actually comprised of people who truly are called and converted by the gospel and have a relationship with Christ. So the members of these churches are saints by his calling, not by their choice. An unbelieving person does not get up today and decide to join a local church. Now they may dabble with the church and they're looking for something. But you know the world doesn't even understand what church membership really is. They would compare church membership on the same level as being a member of a golf club. It's just one other card I carry in my wallet. I'm a member of this church over here and on Monday I'm playing golf over here. They're not the same. And again, if you want to be a member of a golf club, be a member of a golf club. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't say being a member of a golf club is the same as being a member of a local church. You start watering church membership down, that's what you get. But that's what you're going to get. That's not what these people were about. They, didn't, they weren't about, hey, I go to such and such church and our pastor is such and such. No, they were added to those churches daily by the Lord in order to worship him. They weren't just moving around to where the next popular preacher went and said, that's the church I want to join. Listen, there, there are churches that are standing for the absolute truth of God and the Word of God's being preached every single day. Nobody knows about them. They're not internet superstars. They never will be an internet superstar. But the Word of God is being proclaimed and thundered in better ways than the big celebrity guy is even delivering. And I'm not talking about his delivery and his homiletics. I'm talking about the truth that's being given. But church membership was never about, let's just follow wherever the popular guy is going. There was actually a division in the Corinthian church over that, and Paul was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Hit the brakes on this. We're not of Apollos and those of me. He didn't even want to take credit for the ones that he baptized because when he did that, they were somehow making that association with him. The church are, these are members of the churches that are his saints by his calling. You are never going to hear me call you to be a member of this church. Not in the sense of saying this is where you must place your membership. Now you're going to hear me say you should be a member of a church. You should assemble and commit to a local church. That should be a part of your Christian walk. But you're not going to hear me say that this is the church you must be a part of. But I will say church membership certainly matters. Our identity as church members is rooted in the sovereign grace of God who effectually calls each of his sheep because his sheep hear his voice. We learned back in paragraph 5 about he calls, again, the end of of paragraph 5 of the confession, those thus called, he commands to walk together in particular societies or churches for their mutual edification and the due performance of that public worship which he requires of them in the world. I bet you didn't know that the worship of God is required. It's not an option. It's required of us. The sheep of Christ hear his voice and they follow him, John 10, verse 4 and verse 27. They follow, which visibly manifests and gives evidence, again the, the paragraph says, by the profession and walking. So my, my, my salvation testimony is not I did this and I profess this, but actually I walk in it. Their obedience is unto the call of Christ, not under the call... Again, not under the call of the elders or pastors of a local church. You're not obedient to God because a pastor or elder tells you to. You're in obedience because you know his voice and Christ calls you to that. You know, somewhere along the line, pastors and elders decided that we're the final authority on what people do. No, we're not. Now, we're going to learn about the power and the authority of the church. There is an authority in the local church that also has been diminished and is falling away. Where someone says, the church has no authority over me, then you misunderstand the Bible. There is authority when you join yourself to a local church. That authority is very real, and it's not make-believe. Well, I don't like authority. Well, join the club. I don't either. None no of us like anybody telling us what to do all about that word free. We're free spirits. We're free range. We do what we want to do. We have liberty. Be careful not to use your liberty as a license to do that which is incorrect. We visibly manifest this calling. The only way that we show, the only way we show this calling and our conversion is the fact of how we walk. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote so many times in the book of Ephesus, walk worthy of the calling. Walk worthy of it. If we were to construct a blueprint of the local church and how it fits into the Great Commission, when Jesus himself said, Go ye into all the world, preaching the gospel. We do conclude that baptism is an essential part of our profession, which visibly manifests and evidences their obedience to the call of Christ. The formula in the Great Commission is, first of all, to make disciples by the proclamation of the gospel through which Jesus sovereignly calls his sheep to himself. That's how he calls his sheep, is through the preaching of the gospel. Not through which church brochure appeals to the flesh the best. Not whose marketing program is best. The gospel calls and converts Baptism is that outward sign of those who have been called and converted. They have evidence now that they have repented. Believing disciples are to be baptized. The only candidate for baptism is a believer. If you're not a believer in the uh, soul-saving grace that's found in Christ alone and His merits and His righteousness, you're not a candidate for baptism. Why pray to prayer? It doesn't matter. Are you trusting in Christ alone? Then those baptized disciples are to join together in a common love for Christ, which drives them to learn and obey Jesus's commands. So what is the church and what is membership of a church? It is the common pursuit of obedience to Christ. That's really what it is. We are to be mutually edifying each other to our obedience in Christ that is required of all of us you can never do that sitting at home on your couch doing online church you're never going to accomplish that and we get as a church so little time to edify one another so little time you count it out for most of us it's less than three hours a week that we are gathered together in corporate worship together. Many of these churches were together daily. Now again, not necessarily for church services, quote unquote, but they had, we'll learn, they had all things in common. It was not just something that was tagged on the end of our life. We do this, this, and this, and then we have church tagged on. No, it was it. It was their highest calling, their highest desire was to be in obedience to Christ and to mutually edify each other in that obedience. It really is a beautiful picture. A local church is where we gather together. You cannot gather with the invisible universal church. And don't say, well, that's what I'm doing when I'm online. Folks, I don't mean to be rude, but that's a pathetic reasoning. I'm part of the universal church. I'm chatting with somebody who's part of this universal church who lives in California. That's not church. It's not church membership. But we also see that baptism is closely aligned with the church. It's an ordinance that is to be administered to the individual disciple, but it's administered as a church ordinance. And it is part of building up the church. So then Acts 2.41, those who received the word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So we see, first of all, that the church members or the church is comprised of members who are called and converted. Secondly, the church is comprised of members who have all things in common. Verses forty four. And 45. Now, we do see even in, in those texts, the, the previous in the calling and conversion, uh, it says in verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. That's in context to those who receive the word. So those that say that there is no biblical basis for church membership have to explain to me what verse 42 means then. If that's not church membership, well, preacher, it doesn't say church membership, so I take the position. It doesn't mean you're you're free to take that position. But this is clearly people who were continuing together steadfastly. That's what it says. Again, you may have a translation that says something different, but that's what it means. It means to continue together. It's having things in common. It is... And notice, and again, you don't hear this in church membership, uh, please. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. To be together means to be in one place. To have all things in common is no man called anything his own. In other words, now, this doesn't mean that all of our financial resources and everything's put together and say, you don't own this, you don't own this, you don't own this. But the point is, is that they all had the common benefit of one another at the very heart of what they were doing. Spiritually, and I think in some ways, temporally. Listen, the greatest place that a church member can go to when they're in a time of need is their local church. I've had people call me, they've called me and said, I'm in trouble and I need some help. And I say, well, do you you have a church? Yes, I do. And I have to ask the question, is there a reason why they're not attempting to help you? Now, again, sometimes our motives can be wrong. Sometimes we look at the church and we say, the church should take care of every single need I have, regardless of how I got myself in the circumstance, right? Right. It's kind of like parenting a child. You love your child. You want to help that child. But there's going to be times your child's going to get themselves in trouble that the worst thing you can do is actually bail them out without them learning a lesson. So people get mad. The church didn't help me, so I'm gone. Sometimes they can't. Sometimes they can. But it was sad to me that they couldn't turn to their own church and say, I need some help. That's what it means to have all things in common, not just temporally, but also spiritually. We have a common faith. We share a common belief system. That's why when you join this church, it's not just do you believe something. Do you specifically believe these truths? And can you articulate those truths? Saying I believe the gospel isn't enough. What does the gospel mean? When I say the word gospel, how do you respond to that? When we talk about repentance, what does repentance mean? Give me your salvation testimony. Talk about when you were converted, how you were converted. All those things matter. But to have these things in common also says, again, verse 45, "...and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need." So this church is comprised of members who have all things in common, but the disciples become members of local churches voluntarily. You are joining a church and willingly consenting to walk together according to the appointment of Christ, not according to my appointment or someone else's appointment. You're willingly consenting. Remember we talked about free? and you want freedom, you want liberty, you want all those things, you're free to make that decision to never join a local church. Nobody's going to compel you to. I believe the Word of God commands us to. But no one's going to compel you. No one's going to corner you in this church and say, you know what, it's been too long. You need to make a decision. It's not going to come from me. Because if you don't come to the place where you voluntarily, willingly, and willfully consent to what the church is about, and I'm going to say this as carefully as I can, that will be trouble down the road. Churches are so worried about building their membership roles that they're taking anybody that breathes because they want to say, we have 150 members. We don't do that here. We're not going to force it on you. Now, if you say, I want to, then there are, going to be, there are going to be things you have to be able to articulate. And there's things we're going to want to know. Those things matter. Was the church, the first century church, perfect? Absolutely not. Was everybody doing things with everybody in mind? Absolutely not. Read Acts chapter number five, about Ananias and Sapphira. And lying to the Holy Ghost. It's not perfection. As Spurgeon said, if you find a perfect church, go join that church, it won't be perfect anymore. Because you're not going to put it over the top. You're not going to put it over the edge. You're not going to make that church perfect, nor is a pastor or a preacher. If we could just get that guy, we're going to have a perfect church. No, you will not. One day I'm going to pass off the scene. I'm going to die. And wherever we are, someone else is going to have to take that role over. And once we get to the place where we've got plurality of elders and someone moves and someone else comes in, listen, <laughs> it, it's, it, don't follow the man. Don't do it. Do like Paul said, as I follow Christ, you can follow me. But if I stop following Christ, don't follow me anymore. Don't follow anywhere that I'm going. If I'm not leading you to Christ, if I'm leading you somewhere else, then you have every right to no longer follow. But no one should be a member of a church who doesn't want to be a member of the church. Simple. The church is not comprised of those who are members because their family made them or the state compelled them to be members. They're members because they want to obey God. Paragraph five again, those he called, he commanded to walk together in particular societies or churches. That's last week's paragraph. You will volunteer freely to join to that local church. No one can be forced to join a local church either. It has to be willing voluntary membership. Something that needs to be said in our day and age without going too far down the road that we don't need to go, it's important to make note that no one should be excluded based on their race, their social or economic status. Now again, there's other things that are happening and I'm not even touching some of that nonsense. But I want you to understand that race is never a reason to deny someone church membership. And God help us, if that ever comes us, that, that won't be as long as I'm here. And again, that may be too strong of a statement, but race is never gonna come in to any sort of thought process at all. And I'm certainly not gonna be about how much economic impact you might have on our local church. We don't ask for your bank account. We don't wanna know. I'm not even even clarifying and verifying you're giving enough. We put an offering box on the back wall. That's entirely up to you. But we're not looking for who can support and who can't. That's not going to be one of the membership questions we're even going to ask you. It's not even going to come up. But we do need to understand that nobody should be excluded based on certain things. Thirdly, the church is comprised of members who are committed in communion. Now, communion is a beautiful word. There's an entire chapter on communion, not communion when we take the Lord's Supper, but fellowship. Verses 46 through 47. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. So disciples, out of their love for Christ, are committed and submitted to the local church, giving themselves up to the Lord, but also to one another. It's professed subjection. Again, another bad word in our society. I don't like commitment, and I don't wanna be subjected to, and I don't wanna be under the authority of. Well, you're gonna have a hard time ever being a member of a local church if you despise those three terms. Because all three of those matter. There is a giving up of yourself. There is a willingness to have all things in common and be committed in communion and in fellowship. Fellowship is great, but church fellowship is not just what we do between our 10 o'clock and our eleven fifteen service. Okay? That's, that's, not what the, that's not what the inspired writers of Scripture even had in mind. That's not what Luke had in mind in Acts 2 when he's speaking about fellowship. Is it a part of it? Yes. Is that what communion fully means? No. If that's all we limited it to, is that fellowship is just that 15, 20 minute window between 10 o'clock and eleven fifteen? that's not going to be enough to fulfill what fellowship is. Fellowship's not just activities that a church does on a Saturday or a Friday. Those things are all good. They all have value. Fellowship is something more that is, sometimes it's not something you can visibly see with what the thing is. It's actually, it's it's the idea of having one heart, one mind, one soul being in one accord. That's true fellowship. My fellowship with Christ is not based upon that I spend time with Jesus Christ himself. I I don't have Jesus Christ bodily here. I have the spirit and I commune with the spirit. I have fellowship with the Lord. But this truly is this subjection. It is being committed and under the authority of and we'll learn about that uh, in the coming weeks, but the word commitment scares people. It is difficult to find people who are loyal and faithful and steadfast to something for the long term any longer. It's hard to find people that want to be, remain at anything for any extended period of time. In our humanity, in our flesh, we grow very bored and we grow very tired of things. And we say, you know what? I just, this isn't what I thought. This isn't what I was looking for. This isn't what I wanted. And you understand that we're, we, we commit every day to things. We, We're loyal sometimes to the wrong things. We're loyal because we have to be loyal. We commend people for 50 years of service at a workplace. We say, "Well, they've been there 50 years. It's a beautiful thing. Do you realize it's becoming more and more rare to find a person who's been a member of one local church for 50 years who was born in that church all the way from when they were born until the time they put them in the ground? Do you know... And let me just share a little bit of my heart with you. That's what my desire is for this church, is that we see a generations of people that our youngest children who were born during the time now are members of this church all the way until the Lord calls them home. That's what it's supposed to be. And prayerfully, God provides pastors and elders that feel exactly the same way. They're not always looking for the next place to go preach. They're not always looking for the next conference to go attend and to be seen. Folks, I'm being very transparent with you. It took me years to figure this out. I need to rephrase that. It took many years for God to teach me this. Because there used to be a mentality in me when I first was called into ministry and I first started serving, that like, okay, this is good for now. This is good for now, but, the, but I want this next and I want this next and I want this next. Can I tell you this morning, that's not my heart anymore. My heart is to truly pastor or be an elder, whatever the Lord has in the years of this place until God calls me home. And I have not always been able to say that. And I'm not telling you that to pull on emotional heartstrings. I'm just telling you that that's what there has to be. And those of you that were here in the beginning know just how hard this was when nobody was here. And again, if the Lord brings us back to that place where nobody is here, would we still stay faithful to where God places us? I don't consider this just a group of people I look at every single Sunday and Wednesday. I don't just look at you as other people. I look at you as the flock that God has entrusted me with to teach and feed the Word of God to. And that's what it's supposed to be. But please don't ever think if it's me or some elder at some other time that it's going to be perfect because it's not I have and will make a whole lot of mistakes just like you did. And there's a lot of things I have to learn through my own spiritual experience. It's amazing that God's not just working on you through the Spirit. He's constantly working on me through the Spirit and teaching me continually about what I'm supposed to be. A man that's called to preach and to pastor does not have all the answers from the moment he steps into that pulpit. Sometimes they don't figure it out until they put him in the ground and he still didn't have it all. Because I'm convinced we're going to get to glory, and we're going—I don't know how much we're going to remember. I tend to think that we're not going to be really encumbered by this, but I'm—I'm figured out. We're going to have a lot of this wrong. We will have become so hardened to our way and our things, and we said, "I knew this was right, and I knew we should have done this, and we should." We're going to say, "You know what? It really was never about us. It was never about what we wanted. It was about the glory of God." Commitment is scary. We are living in subjection to the ordinance of the gospel as church members. By the ordinances, we mean those things that are the authorized, the Reformed writers would put it this way, the authorized means of grace. It is, that's what's to direct the life and the worship and the ministry of the church. 1 Timothy 3.15, the Bible teaches us how we ought to conduct ourselves in the household of God. Paul, as he's writing to Timothy there, tells Timothy it's the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. I don't think we understand how important it is to be a purveyor of the truth in a day and age when people are basically saying, Please lie to me. Please tell me the lie. And Christians are sucking in lies as if it's the truth. And every day, if you're part of a church that's standing for the truth, you have the truth. Stop listening to the nonsense and saying, this is the way things are. Spend that time that you're wasting watching the local news media and the cable news networks and get in the word of God and stop basing everything on that. None of that's helping you. Now, should you be aware of what's going on? Absolutely. Don't be willfully ignorant, but don't let that be the thing that makes up what your view is of this world. View it from the perspective of the Scriptures. Sadly, many professing Christians today conduct themselves according to what's personally convenient or what becomes the trend, and they turn away from the biblical call of a living commitment. So what does a Christian commit to? The local church, what we're talking about today, it has membership requirements, their commitments, but they're not meant to be binding on you to the point where you say, you know, this is drudgery. But submission to a local church is just simply following the obedient, following in obedience what the Lord has described, not just in the section of our confession, but exclusive, more importantly, in the book of Acts and in our Bibles. I'm thankful and privileged to be a part of a church. Believe it or not, some people often struggle with this and say, well, pastors and elders, are not really members of the church. Actually, I am. And the reason I say that is because some denominations move pastors and elders around so much, they never join that local church. They're just passing through until the denomination says, you've spent enough time there. You've fulfilled your two-year commitment. Folks, there are churches church within Baptist denominations that are doing that. The man says, huh, I gotta go where? But look, it's only for two years. Just go fulfill your commitment and then we'll move you on to something greater. I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that. And it's happening more than you think. So commitment to the local church. I hope this will help us this morning uh, thinking about church membership and the beauties of it. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer this morning. Again, I hope this was a help and an encouragement to you.